0: Welcome to My Town. This is episode number nine. Last week, Brian Shepard talked to us about love being inopportune in episode number eight. And tonight, we're talking about love is healing. My name is Stan Wilson, and I'm joined tonight by Mark Champa and Mary Trapnell, Hugh and Dawn Ellidge, and Amanda Laganis. Did I say that right, Amanda? Um, So let's get started. Let's open with prayer and then we'll jump into our conversation. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be on the screen with uh, your other image bearers and thank you for the discussion we're getting ready to have about love being healing. Um, We know that you're here with us and we ask that the Spirit guide this conversation to bless us and those who listen to us tonight Thank you for everything that you provide to us and for the wisdom and talent that's represented on this screen and the fruitful uh, harvest that will come from this discussion. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for you who may not be aware, we are uh, anchoring my town in Luke 10 and the story of the Good Samaritan. And tonight is interesting because we don't have a verse to go to in Luke 10 that says, and love is healing, right? We've talked about, we've talked about compassionate. We've talked about costly. We've talked about several different words that are in the story or the parable, but there's actually not the word healing verbatim in the text that shows up. However, healing is an overarching theme, I believe, to the whole story. So thinking about that, um, one of those words that I just mentioned was compassion and we know that compassion is literally to suffer with. So I ask everybody here on the screen, how does the Samaritan suffer with the injured person in the ditch? Don't be shy. Somebody go.
1: We join others in their journey. Um, And the whole idea in uh, loving and healing is we are so close to the shepherds um, as we all have a Christian challenge to remain close to the shepherd and share his light and his love. And in doing so, we're always looking to show that to others. So we join others. We join hands with them. We partner with them. And through us, love and light comes through, Stan.
0: Hmm. Thanks, Dawn. Somebody else?
2: Don, you mentioned a word that had been kind of, I've been kind of mulling over my mind, and that was the word love. And someone recently did this to me, so I'll do it to you. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: he said, what is the opposite of love in one word? What would you say? Opposite of love is uh,
1: darkness, maybe.
3: I would say indifference.
2: Ah, yeah, Mary. Yeah, when it happened to me, I said the opposite of love is hate. That's
0: what I was going to say.
2: But the person pointed out that the opposite of love is really indifference. With indifference meaning I don't care. I mean, a husband who says. I don't care about my wife, uh, you know, or a father who says, I don't care about my children. You know, uh, that's really the opposite of love. Because when Jesus talked about love, he said that we're to love our enemies. And that doesn't mean a warm fuzzy feeling inside, obviously. It means I need to care for them about giving them what they need at that time that that would help them. Um, And so really, indifference, and you're exactly right, Mary, indifference is the opposite of love and how often I'm guilty of just being indifferent when I should be loving.
0: Hmm. You know, that, that contrast that you're talking about, Mark, uh, between, as we both fought, love and hate, right, is yeah. very applicable to what we're talking about right now. In this story, I happened to, I happened to hear last week a podcast from a doctor at Vanderbilt Divinity School. Her name is Dr. Levine and she's an Orthodox Jew and she teaches New Testament, which is, you know, just think about that for a second, but um, it was an interesting podcast and what I wanted to do is just take just a second to bring some of Dr. Levine's thoughts into this before we listen to Mary and Amanda expound on this potentially. That contrast or that dichotomy between um, love and hate is more in this story than we realize. Uh, from a Jewish perspective, what Dr. Levine was saying is we, we often comes to this story and we don't really even understand how shocking it was to the people who were listening to Jesus tell it. She says that when we say one, two and three of the, of the, of the people in the story, the travelers, right? We would think, and Mark, I'm going to do what you did to Dawn. You finish this for me. If we were to say Father, Son, and what? Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, right? That would be the natural fill-in-the-blank after Father and Son. Dr. Levine said, for the hearers of this story, they heard priest, Levite, and then they knew what the next one was, just like we know the Holy Spirit's the next one in order. It should have been... Israelite. But it wasn't. It was Samaritan. And she said it would be like us saying father, son, the devil. And I went, okay. And so her point was the guy in the ditch would rather die than to be saved by the devil or to be saved by a Samaritan. And so I kept, it piqued my interest and I kept listening and she said, and here's the other problem we have. We we have a lot of people out there who will teach and preach on the idea that the first two travelers coming down the road saw the person in the ditch and said, oh, they might be dead. And if I go over there and touch them, then I'll have to go through a cleansing process and then go through that description of how many days and whatever. And she said, that's, that's just hogwash. That's not what happened at all. The, the priest came down the road and so did the Levite and they asked, what will happen to me if I go over there and try to help that person? And so they went on where the Samaritan came along and said, what will happen to that person if I don't stop and help them? And so I'm thinking about that. Anybody's welcome to comment on it, but I'm, I'm thinking that's a great on ramp to to Mary and Amanda. Um, I've worked with, i just met Amanda today, but I've worked with Mary for a couple of years and this, Nashville Anti-Human Trafficking Coalition, can you talk to us about how you see that as synonymous with people who are stuck in the ditch?
3: Yeah, um, you know, Stan, I I just, I'm so honored to be on this call today and um, privileged to be talking to your church um, about something God put on our heart seven years ago as we were exposed to the fact that people made in God's image were being bought and sold on a daily, hourly, moment by moment basis in our city. And the closer we got to the issue, the closer it really was to us. And as a primarily, you know, suburban uh, church, you know, the question was how in the world could we ever possibly take the gospel that had transformed our lives and given us hope uh, I hope that was so great we were willing to die to self and to uh, live for uh, a Jesus in the scriptures who walked away from a- unimaginable glory and came in the form of a man and was born not in the finest of you know hospitals, but was really probably on the backside of the community where we uh, serve on Murfreesboro Road. In, in a field where the animals were. And so all of a sudden, God began to prick our hearts as, a, as we formed as a missional community and said, okay, God, if you will give us an opportunity to get on the ground and provide a pathway for the church to engage in this issue, would it be that in these days, God's people left you know, their comfort, much like Jesus did, and got on the ground and began serving people? So I wanted to, uh, Amanda, could you roll down through our incarnational ministry model? Um, This this picture should help you kind of understand what God used in our missional community to really galvanize multiple churches. In fact, I think we have over 50 on our rolls to actually get on the ground and make a difference to the most exploited people in our community. And so our hope was, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ that had been entrusted to his people in the church, as I said earlier, had the hope that um, this darkness could not uh, dispel, had light. And so we prayed, God, would you give us some pathways? And the first thing he did is he uh, gave us the opportunity to get educated about the issue. And much like, you know, I always say, if you're going to Japan on a mission trip, you know, you might download some, you know, Rosetta Stone or whatever and learn how to speak a little Japanese. Um, because it's important to be able to communicate. And then you might do some research on Japan. And then you might do some research on their history. Then you might begin to do some research on, you know, other people who had gone to into that community and uh, begin to understand their culture and, and how, they, how they do and uh, how they live. And so we began having monthly meetings every, uh, week, uh, every month at Christ Presbyterian Church. And, um, you know, we would have anywhere from 20 people to, mm-hmm. I think on one of our biggest months, we had over 80 people. Mm-hmm. And we had people that were coming in the community that were already serving that we wanted to hear from. We had people that were um, uh, other church leaders who had different models that they had used and we wanted to learn and glean from them. And we also had um, God sent some survivors of human trafficking to our group for us to begin learning really from them what their story is, their plight is. So then we said, "Okay, God, if. You know, the natives got restless. We had learned, we had learned, and this was for about a year and a half. We said, okay, God, would you give us an opportunity maybe to get on the ground and earn some street creds? And uh, one Thanksgiving, uh, one of the survivors said, you know, Mary, would there be any way that we could get a group of people to come together and we could go to eight different locations across the city, different hotels where girls are being trafficked, and uh, bring Thanksgiving meals. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. And the last stop was at Casablanca, Casa Linda, which used to be a Holiday Inn motel over near the airport. And God opened a door. He gave us, I think, what some have called a person of peace, who was the owner and the manager of the property. And we were able to partner with people loving Nashville and men of valor and provide a weekly feeding. Um, and what we realized is looking at other ministry models, too, when you bring food out, people come. And so every week on Thursday night, we had often live music, we had food and um, what was kind of a dark area of town, all of a sudden had some light. And there were people just showing up, listening and looking in the eyes of and learning from the people what they wanted us to do. And they were the ones who informed our efforts uh, and then, you know, we begin to say, okay, God, would you give us the privilege of earning the right to extend the embrace of Christ? And God did, you know, uh, two years into it, uh, God began to grow a, a pool of women that we had desired to serve that had been trafficked all over the city. They were finding our, their way over to Murfreesboro Road, and we began having Bible studies. We began having uh, gospel-informed recovery classes We've been, um, doing all manner of, of friendship building events that were fun from salon days to, um, oh my goodness, we, you know, celebrating birthdays. We've had weddings. We've done a little bit of everything just to say, we see you and we care about you. And our goal as a community group and as now a nonprofit was to see these girls be loved into, uh, you know, coming back into the church with us. And so it has been an honor and privilege for us to be able to, we say, walk the girls home into the community where the gospel that sent us out is now going to be a part of their healing, ultimate healing and uh, transformation. And it is just a stunning experience to watch not only this, the survivors of human trafficking, become a part of a local church, but then also we've had the privilege of being able to see the exploiters, the the traffickers and pimps and uh, father figures who unfortunately taken advantage of the children and the the women in their family. Um, You know, just even in the scriptures, King David's son, you know, uh, unfortunately exploited his sister. So this was not foreign to God and it was something that God very much intended to move into and address in the hearts of, of both the survivor and the the perpetrator. And what we've seen is that God has met both. Mm -hmm. And in this whole journey, I can just tell you, as we started out in the church, uh, and we got on the ground, we got educated, we got on the ground and then we began to wrap around, um, this community. God has not only transformed their lives, but he's transformed ours. And so, um, that's kind of what we have done. And I would love nothing more than to be able to encourage your church or your, anybody in your community that would like to uh, get on the ground and, uh, be a good Samaritan and, um, you know, really get to know some folks that need our help and, and really need our Jesus.
0: Well, I, you know, while you were talking, Mary, I was thinking about how I was blessed to meet you in 2017 and, and I'll, I was there on Murfreesboro Road in that facility in 17 and 2018 as well. And I remember, if you can tell us more, I, I remember a men's Bible study that I was involved in and a women's Bible study that was being led by, by someone else. And and around the the pool there, um, there was a a marketplace for people to bring their clothing that was lightly used and, and hanging on hangers and say, hey, I don't need this anymore, but somebody else might. And the barbecue's going and there's – bags of chips and there's coolers full of drinks and everybody's on a Thursday night getting together and having community. And then I realized that all of the old hotel rooms were actually their houses. And that Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, you, you mentioned while ago and don't let me misstate anything. I, I gleaned from those meetings and those devos that I was in the presence of people who had perpetuated the trafficking and also had been victims of the trafficking and they're living together. So we're talking about Samaritans living with the people who were in the ditch uh that at first might have said I'd rather die than get helped by that person and now traffickers are maybe getting helped by people who were doing the trafficking mm-hmm. is that is that fair to say?
3: Uh, absolutely. You know, it was interesting because when we got on the ground at Casablanca Casa Linda um we had no idea what we were walking into. And, you know, real quickly we realized that most of the people, you know, went into their room, shut and locked the door and never came out. Mm -hmm. And so one of the barriers that God seemed to bring down as we sort of invited them into community and relationship with us is that it began to break down barriers between the people that were living in the community. And, uh, it is not uncommon for us to get a phone call for somebody to say, you know, uh, there's a young girl that's living with her grandparents in the back room and she's been here for years and she's now, of you know, she's 13 Mm. and we feel like she's being trafficked. Mm. And that is coming from someone who is, you know, on the sex offenders list, Mm. whose heart has been changed. And like you were saying, Stan has been going to Bible study and has developed a relationship with several men. And, you know, within a year's time, his heart is softened and he is walking out of and coming up out of, you know, the life that he had lived for years. I mean, he's in his 60s. And uh, it is just beautiful for us to see him being one of the informants on what's going on in the community.
0: Ooh, you're giving me chills. <laughs> um,
3: I, think every,
0: I think everybody on here wants to know the, the, the question that's in all of our minds most likely is. What, what would you recommend Hendersonville Church of Christ do to find something similar in Sumner County?
3: Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things, and I, this is going to sound like a church answer, but it has really become a, something that's totally transformed and defined our ministry, is that we felt so uh, unqualified to do the work that we were doing. Truly unqualified. Unqualified. And so we begin out of Joshua five, as he's going into battle, you know, for the first time into the promised land. And he, uh, is in, he encounters the pre-incarnate Christ, the commander of the army, and he just is undone. And basically, you know, the commander of the army says, I'm in charge. You're not. So one of the things that we talk about is just showing up for duty with our hands open mm-hmm. and letting the Holy spirit, Convict us of anything that we're holding on to, anything other than Jesus, and then saying, okay, speak, you know, Lord, your servant is listening, and God has just led us each day down the road he had intended for us to to go down. So that was number one, prayer and spending time before the commander of the army, because he's the one ultimately that is going to change the hearts. Right and then you know really just saying okay how can we get educated about what's going on in our community and where is the need like where are the people that God wants to deploy the church to go serve and then partnerships are critical like you know looking at other organizations that may be doing something you say okay God what's our niche though where do you want us to go and who could we partner with to accomplish that and then you know getting on the ground and just, I'm, I'm just, you know, we've interviewed a lot of different organizations and one of them is advanced Memphis in, uh, in, in Memphis in the downtown area near the expo. And it's, it is just, they, somebody gave them a big smoker and boy, they put the food, the ribs and everything on that. And they rolled that out and they made friends. He said immediately in the community and they have a community garden. And so everybody's coming and they're handing out food and you know, I guess Jesus has got us moving toward the marriage feast of the lamb. Mm. And, uh, so that whole concept of God meeting people around a table and around food is real. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Sam, you mentioned that we have people that donate clothing and donate items. You know, we realized real quickly that most of the people coming into the rooms didn't have mattresses. So one of the things that we you know, are commonly doing is picking up a mattress and making sure it gets over mm-hmm. to a new, somebody who newly comes into the community. Um and Amen. then those Bible studies just once you've earned that right and they know that you don't have an agenda you're just there to love and to serve and you want to see them do mm-hmm. well just like hey man would you would you be comfortable with me praying with you
2: mm-hmm.
3: would you be comfortable with me um you know inviting you to a Bible study we're just going to go through one little passage of scripture would I'd love to sit down and break that out with you and then to see men who would in no way interact with each other sit around a table at a Bible study with the word of God laid out was just pretty amazing. And one of the women in the group, she just met me one day and she just cried and cried and cried. And she said, Mary, you have no idea. She said, when a man is on the sex offenders list, she said it is very difficult for them to even go to church because most churches have a nursery. Mm. And then as someone on the sex offenders list, You can't be within any distance of a nursery where children are. So she said, unless you all come to us, the likelihood of my husband ever really hearing about Jesus and being able to be in his word is very limited, barring a miracle. And she just wept. And she said, I cannot thank you enough for being over here. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I was like, we'll be here. (laughs) If we ever thought about stopping, we're not going to. We will be here.
0: Well, and Mary, I think, I think it's important. I mean, we could listen to you all night, right? Um, I think everybody on here, I've, I've, had, I've had chill bumps on my arms off, off, and, off and on the whole time you've been talking, but there's one other thing I wanted to, to get your thoughts on before we switch over to, to Hugh and Dawn with, with their ministry and their story. Um, you're also honoring these people, if I remember correctly, that they, ha- they have skin in the game. They don't get those rooms for free. It's not just a handout. This is not just a, a um, soup kitchen or something that you're just running out of the goodness of your heart. Not that it's not out of the goodness of your heart, but it it is not for free. They have to, they have to participate. And can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, it is considered transitional housing because there's no kitchen and it's just those old motel rooms. So it's got a bathroom and a sink and, and bedroom space. And, um, it's $700 a month and it is not uncommon for, I mean, there are many people who live by themselves, but it is not uncommon for families to be in those rooms together. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: So, um, you know, for us, the commitment just to even be there means they pretty much have to have a job. They're working on, you know, some sort of government assistance and they don't have much money at all. So we have, you know, if, if we kind of internally have decided that if you show up to the meals, if you are interested in Bible study, if you make a, any step toward us, you know, to say we really would like to have a relationship with you, then it just begins to be a joy to serve uh, and to give back. And I don't know, Stan, did that answer your question?
0: Yeah, it just, it, it just confirms that you're honoring them and you're allowing them to have dignity and not just saying, hey, we we love you as Jesus loves and we're going to uh, dictate to you how you receive our love. That's not really what you're doing. You're, you're giving them a new start. You're giving them healing, which is what we're talking about tonight. And you're allowing them to have a a new beginning uh, mm-hmm. to rewrite or to go to their new chapter of life, whether they were a trafficker or whether they were being trafficked and you're not saying to them, you know, I'm dangling something over you that the minute I decide that you can't have that room anymore or, you, or we get crossways or whatever, you're out of here. No, you're, that's their residence and they're paying for the right to be in it and yet you've allowed them to form community there mm-hmm. with the other people who are paying for those residences and I just think that's awesome because that is so holistic for everybody involved.
3: Yeah. And, you know, as a point of clarification, we don't necessarily run the management of and own the property, uh, but they have just given us a pass and have given us space on the property. And we really uh, are the church on the ground at Blanca, Casa Linda. Oh. So it's really beautiful because we get to major in what I think the church does so well, which is relationships. Yeah. And that's a, another bit of this. We're not trying to, reinvent the wheel or do for them what they should be doing for themselves. We're just, we are majoring in that relationship that, you know, we pray and our, our tagline is inspire hope. You know, we are praying that God will allow us the privilege to inspire hope through Christ that they can live a radically different life than they ever, ever lived before. And the, and the good news is we, you know, we kind of provide wraparound teams, So we don't go it alone and typically anybody that really kind of leans in toward us, will have three or four people that know, get to know them. We'll call on an ongoing basis each week, you know, we make sure we all know about birthdays and special events, sobriety, chips, you know, anything that is of importance to them, we try to celebrate. So,
0: Mm. well, bless you for for that. Does anybody have any questions for Mary before we switch over to Hugh and Dawn? Amanda, did you want to say anything?
3: No, I just heartily second an amen. Right
0: <laughs> I think that's where we all are. Okay. Well, um, Hugh, Don, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your personal healing and, and how, uh, Don, your external examples of healing uh, and caregiving are going?
1: Yes. Um, and uh, again, thank you, uh, Stan for, uh, having us join you in this and, um, Actually, we're just going to share our testimony of love and light and truth. And uh, just like Mary's ministry, I believe those of us who are close to the light are always looking for a light switch in every situation. So we can just run and turn on the lights um, and bring truth and bring love and bring light to the darkness. Um, And I just read this morning, uh, God telling um, us in the Psalms, you know, he delights in our praise of him. I feel like uh, ministry and Mary, I think you would agree and Stan you too. Um, ministry is praise. I, I am praising him for the work that I can do because he supplies my energy, my enthusiasm, my love. And Mary, your face was just radiating as you were talking and I thought, oh, my goodness, that's that's how I feel about helping caregivers. Um, but I am a geriatric care manager, and um, you can go to ALCA, because uh, I could go on and on and on about what a geriatric care manager does. But that equips me to help caregivers, and I join caregivers in their journey. And I do have an agenda. I am focused on the care recipient. I want... Our aging loved ones, our disabled loved ones, those who are ill, impaired in any way. I want humans just to get good care and and to know our Lord um, and to know that our Lord is the ultimate healer. Um, and that gives so many people joy. Um, and so I just kind of join them in their journey and do that uh, and I do caregiver support groups after hours because it kind of bubbles over, if you will. And that's where it goes out of my work a day and um, not only into churches, but into uh, facilities when we don't have this pandemic um, and we can all meet. And I basically work through Alzheimer's Association and, and I tend to focus on dementia caregivers I have found out in geriatric nursing, they seem to be the most worn out because they go through a death of a loved one twice. Mm. Um, First of all, they lose their loved one and then they have to care for them uh, and give them custodial care. So I do caregiver support groups and, um, At this point, um, you know, I am just doing a lot of virtual like we are now, working with families and coaching them. And I'm enjoying the silver lining of the pandemic in that I can sideline and really coach and consult and do more spiritual ministry with my caregivers um, during this time. But Hugh specifically um, has... Praise, because um, I think he has a very, um, um, a, a very intimate walk with the Lord, and um, and in that walk with him, as as a man and a wife, I have stood by and witnessed firsthand a miracle. Um, and I want you to tell you how we came to the elders at our church, and um, I'll try not to get emotional. <laughs> And we just asked for them to lay hands on us. Um, I work with families, go through end of life. Um, You know, I I have been a hospice clinical director. I was prepared to take my husband through that end of life journey. I put on my nurse hat and I was ready. Um, But I just needed the elders to lay their hands on us. Everything turned around. God gave us a miracle. So, Hugh, would you like to tell everybody about it?
4: Sure, sure. Um, July of 2019, I was installing some very heavy cabinets in a home on the third floor for the young man who was helping me. No way I could do this by myself. No way. Plus, there was a big inlay of granite that we had to carry up there. So we get to the end of the day and now it's time to carry the granite upstairs. And we carried the granite upstairs and we set it in place. And I knew on that third level, after making it up the stairs, I'd done something to my back. I've done something to my back a lot of different times, but this time I knew something was, was up. So I go to my orthopedic surgeon, my back doctor, and he said, well, Hugh, uh, looks like you got foot drop, which is where the nerve is not functioning in your normal gait. Your foot just flops to the ground. So let's get a CT scan and see what's going on. And I get a CT scan and he doesn't call me. He calls Don. And it's not him. It's his PA. And the PA says, well, he's got malignant cancer in his spine. Now, I personally didn't believe it because... I didn't I hadn't felt bad, you know. Hmm, you're supposed to feel something, aren't you? Well, hadn't felt sick, didn't felt bad. So they says, well, Let's get an MRI. So he gets an MRI. And in this time period, we tell Stan, because Stan is one of my close friends at the church. Stan goes over to the elders and says, Hey, we're gonna we're gonna pray for this guy. So I'm telling my doc, I said, uh, are you sure about this? I mean, Should we see an oncologist? Well, I don't know, Uh, I'm not sure. He said, let's get another CT, but this time let's use contrast. I said, okay, fine, whatever. Now at, at this point, I'm pretty well happy with the idea that if I leave planet Earth, I'm going to be with Jesus much better than where I am right now. Hello. So I'm waiting and waiting and get the, done, the test done. And then he says, well, now they're saying they don't say anything. Oh, in between these tests, Stan, my friends, elders are praying. So I go see the oncologist and the oncologist says, that's just a, a little spot. That's a little hemangioma. Uh, Hadn't looked it up yet, but it's just a little spot, let's just say. So he said, Go ahead with your normal life. If you have any problems, give me a call, but I don't see anything to worry about. So, having not ever seen anything on the MRI except my spine, which looks like a train wreck, I have decided I want to go thank the elders for their prayers the next thing I know, they're laying hands on me and they're on my knees on the floor, praying over me. It was a great moment. But I want to say this about how God works with me. I used to be a registered nurse. I used to work for a big company in Brentwood. Got Parkinson's. Parkinson's hit me in 2010. Decided, well, since I can't do nursing anymore, I think I'll do the next thing I used to do, which is make furniture. So I bought tools and I got to work. And I realized that God had a purpose for me, was to take the the spotlight off of me. I don't want the spotlight anymore, by the way. The spotlight's on him, because I can go out and work with the creative spirit that God's put in me and make things all day with very little evidence of Parkinson's bothering me. God works miracles in people's lives. It, it, it still happens. He still heals. Now, he's left Parkinson's with me just to remind me <laughs> who's in charge. Right. Right. But the one thing that he, he has done is he's made this, uh, he made the cancer go away.
1: Yeah. And, and let's clarify, um, it was his birthday when yes. I got that call. Yeah. I'm at work doing my caregiving thing and helping everybody. And my biggest concern that day, y'all, was when I go get a birthday cake, he loves carrot cake or should I get chocolate cake? Hmm. That was my big concern. Okay. Then this nurse practitioner calls, and she's very nice, but she's very curt. And she says, your husband has malignant cancer. I said, what? what are you talking about? You know, and I mean, I'm like, what? And then I'm, I'm like, I've got to go home, forget the cake. I've got to tell my husband on his breath. <laughs> At any rate, so, so that's part one. Part two is we got repeated MRIs and CTs just to be sure confirmed radiology reports malignant cancer. So I didn't want you to think I just raced off to the whole end of life thing. I mean, I I had some documentation. And so, you know, with Stan and the elders putting their hands on us, it was actually the oncologist who looked at the reports and said, hey, that's just a little thing. What are they talking about? I mean, it like disappeared. And in its place was this little tiny spot. It was what was there before was not there anymore. It, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a true, true miracle, and, and Hugh shares it as part of his testimony.
0: Well, thank you so much, uh, to the elegis. and I tell you, Mark, uh, we've, <laughs> I was feeling upstaged by these ladies and, and, and Hugh before, but, uh, now I think we're all just upstaged by God, right? I mean, this is, uh, this is just awesome, and, I hope the people who are watching this episode are uh, riveted to the screen like I've been. Does, does anybody have anything that they want to say as, as we close this out before I kind of wrap it up?
1: I do, stand Psalms 22. Thank you, God, for your loving kindness every morning and for your faithfulness every night. Y'all, whether we're up or we're down, he's, he's there. He's there. He's with us.
0: Awesome, thank you, Don. well, I, I just want to thank Mary and Amanda and Don and Hugh and Mark for being on the episode tonight and I think um, I think there's no no better way to close this out than to think through what we've been talking about with healing. If we look down at the end of this parable, which we 're practically at in the text um, where we've come in the in the episode so far, Jesus says, "Depending on your translation, go." and do likewise. And when I heard, when I hear that, I hear the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If we're going and doing likewise, then we're healing people because we're being Jesus to them and the actions of the Samaritan I feel are worship. And I heard that while Mary was talking when she was explicitly talking about the gentleman who could not go to a church building because of the nursery. He has no choice to worship, but to have worship come to him. Um, And I think that the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, making that decision to see somebody, whether it be someone in human trafficking or whether it be a a dementia patient with, with Dawn or whoever it is, we're representing God well, and we're representing God's healing through us, His co-workers, by reaching out to those people. So... Next week, uh, John Micah is going to host my town and he's going to talk in episode 10 about love is sacrificial and that'll be an interesting subject. So I hope that you will turn in next Wednesday night, tune in next Wednesday night, rather to, uh, to listen to John Micah present love is sacrificial. And here's what I want to leave us with everybody who's out there and everybody on the screen, blessings and peace to each of you. And may you go and do likewise knowing you represent Jesus well and knowing that Jesus is with you and all that you put your hands to and through you, Jesus heals people. Amen. Thanks everybody. Have a blessed rest of your week.